Nothing but cattle. It's a good place to grow up. I loved it. I loved it. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we praise you for what you're doing. Bless this day, God. Bless my words. Thank you, Father, for this amazing, amazing tribe of which you've made us all a part. God, we are so honored and blessed to be together, to be together with you and with one another. Hallelujah. Amen. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now in the previous verses, Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. So this isn't on God's behalf that he's saying, few are they who find it. This is on the behalf of saying, few are these who choose it. Huge difference there. So God's not sitting there and going, hey, I made this kind of hard so no one could get to it. No, 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 no. This is the God who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who is speaking to us right now saying, I am that narrow gate. There is no other way to the Father except for through me, and it is a narrow path. So I just want to qualify that. But he does say this. It's a narrow road. Would you say that with me? Narrow road, okay? Roads are important. They get you where you want to go. And if it's a narrow road, you want to stay on that road. Are you with me? I'm just really enjoying using some Jason, are you with me? lingo there. Have you guys noticed that he doesn't say it as much as he used to? And I kind of miss it. How many of you want to just bring back a little more, are you with me? Yeah. You see that? Okay. All right. So we are talking about contrast communities. And in these contrast communities, I ended with yesterday, or yesterday. It feels like yesterday, doesn't it? I ended last week with this. We're, we're to be living intentional lives. We're not just cruising around, doing whatever feels good, there's an intentionality in order for us to be salt and light. How many of you guys remember last week? Thank you. I'm very encouraged right now. All right. So we have wide and broad is the way versus intentional lives. Narrow is the road. Okay? Have you got that? I want to share something with you that, uh, first of all, last week, for all of you who caught it, I said relativism. God, I am from a countrified town. It's relativism. I went back and listened to my message. I make myself do that so that if, if it turns out that I'm punishing you with my speaking, then I have to find out how that feels. And I thought it was a pretty good word. I got saved twice listening to it until I kept saying relativism, relativism. Anyway, I think, never mind. Anyway, so there we go. I've admitted it. I mispronounced it about eight times. Nobody told me. I'm starting to feel very unloved right now. There was a pastor one time in my life who came up and preached, and he did not have a pulpit, and his fly was down. And he preached the whole sermon, and no one, no one, not one elder, not one usher, not one human being in that church told him that his fly was down. If you can believe it or not, he no longer pastors that church. But I'm just saying, I felt a little bit like y'all let me keep my fly down the whole time and I got a little worried. And Relativism. All right. It means the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. Isn't that interesting? Relativism means that I determine truth based on what's going on around me at any given time. 
Isn't that interesting? The culture that I'm in creates what is truth and direction according to relativism. And last week I was talking about moral relativism, but really relativism is, it's all of it. It's philosophy, it's religion, it's, it's the whole deal. It's a philosophy of life that says what's happening around me determines what is most true in that given moment. Now, here's, here's the problem. It's creating truth and direction according to this, this understanding, right? Now, we just read a moment ago that narrow is the road that leads to life. So there's something about direction in that, wouldn't you say? There's a direction in that. But then yet we have this which says truth and morality exist, knowledge and truth exist only in relation to the culture, society, or historical context, and they're not absolute. We talked last week about salt and light. We have to remain salty and we have to be light, correct? We're learning how to be a contact, contrast community. We're coming to represent the kingdom. Jesus has just said, narrow is the road. And the culture says, there is no road. We don't believe in roads today. So I want to examine this premise in real time, this idea that knowledge and truth and direction and all these things, they only exist in relation to what's happening according to your surroundings. Let's see what that looks like. This is, this is very cool. People really do walk in circles when they get lost. This according to Jan Soman of the Max Planck Institute for Biological Cybernetics in Germany. He and his colleagues dropped people in an unfamiliar forest or desert and they tracked them via GPS. Salmon says, if the sun or the moon was out, the volunteers were able to walk in a straight line and go straight ahead. But when it was cloudy, they walked in circles. What's more, he says, the circles were surprisingly small, just a few hundred yards in diameter. Isn't this awesome? Further, tests showed that people don't automatically default to one direction or the other. Rather, Salmon suspects that without a fixed reference, like the sun or the moon, misleading sensory cues can make us veer slightly left or right without realizing. Without meaningful clues for navigation, I love this knowledge, oh, I just love this whole article. Without meaningful clues for navigation, our brains may latch on to subtle misleading cues in our environment, perhaps the slope of the ground or the direction of the wind in order to pick a direction. The overall effect of the sensory noise biases us to walk at one angle or another, but the exact angle differs depending on the circumstance. That sounds a lot like Come on. Thank you. I love you for that. Isn't that incredible? Okay, so in other words, if you take relativism and drop yourself into a desert, it will not help you to live. You will die in the desert. How many of you would like to follow relativism? Isn't that phenomenal? You, if you apply this in real time, you will die. Let's pray. It's time to go home. Let's go. That was it. Isn't this incredible? Now, I love some of the language here. Well, no, I'm going to, go to, I'm going to go to point two, and then, we'll, and then we'll open this up a little more. Okay. The researchers believe that loopy paths follow from a walker's changing sense of straight ahead. Say, narrow is the way. Okay. Now, with every step, a small deviation 
is likely added to a person's cognitive sense of what's straight. Excuse me. <laughs> Can I have some water, please? Uh, and these deviations accumulate to send that individual veering around in ever tighter circles as time goes on. I want to stop right there. Did you catch that? So with every step, there's a slight deviation, and I end up, not only do I go in a small circle, the longer I do it, the tighter the circle gets. You ever heard of somebody who's really been entrenched in their way of thinking? Have you ever seen someone who's believed something so long that it is very hard to get them out of that understanding of what they believe to be true? Come on, how many of us, how many of us are that person? Yeah, amen. We've all been in that spot, right? Well, I've always done it this way and it's always not worked. And I'm not going to change now. I've been in this forest for as long as I can remember. God must want me here. <laughs> all right. So these deviations accumulate to send the individual veering around, thank you so much, in ever tighter circles as time goes on. The increasing curvature doesn't happen when external reference points are visible because these allow the walker to frequently recalibrate his or her sense of direction. So in other words, if I have the sun or the moon, then what I can do is I can look in an objective reference point and walk in a straight line. If I lose that objective reference point, would you say that for me, objective reference point? If I lose sight of that, then what I end up doing is I slowly get into a circle and I just keep going in that circle until it's a tight little circle. However, if I am walking, say, next to a building or something else that has been placed based on an objective reference point. You notice that this building is square and that one side faces east, one side faces west, north, south. You know, it's not like at an angle, right? It's most of us tend to build our houses in view of some objective reference points. So if I'm walking by this building right now and I'm trying to walk in a straight line, even if it's cloudy, I can look down the streets, which are running in this town, either north to south or east to west. And it helps me to walk in a straight line. Now, I don't have to think about that because I'm just looking around and there's a street in front of me and there's buildings that are lined up in accordance with the objective reference point in this, in, in this earth of north, south, east, and west. Are you guys with me? Okay, so in my body, just, it just knows, hey, walk in a straight line because you're referencing these other points which are themselves lined up according to the ultimate objective reference point, which is Direction, the sun, the moon, the north star. You guys tracking? So this is amazing. Now this seems really, really basic because again, it is. As of yet, no one is sure where in our inner workings the accumulating deviations arise. I love the word, it's almost like, you know, you just can't get away from the gospel. And here are these scientists, and they're just talking about how people lose sense of direction. But the gospel is all up in this, isn't it? The accumulating deviations of the inner workings without an objective reference point. There's, that's enough to get saved right there. I thought that was awesome. Thank you for the four of you that also thought that was awesome. All right. 
However, as detailed in the July 2011 issue of the Journal of Experimental Brain Research, the Max Planck team thinks the brain's vestibular, which is your balance maintaining, and proprioceptive body awareness systems combine to enable regular spatial updating. And it may be the vestibular system in the inner ear that malfunctions in the absence of visual clues. Again, wow, all of creation speaks to the glory of God. What are they saying? My inner ear. I'm thinking my inner voice. My ability to balance through what I hear, understand, and walk deceives me. Come on. Are you guys even awake? Because this is so awesome. My inner ear deceives me without visual clues. If my eyes are not opened up to the objective truth, a reference point, my inner workings will deceive me through accumulating deviations from truth. Come on. The inner ear system is already known to exhibit biases. Let us pray. (laughs) Some people have vestibular disorders so severe that they find walking in straight lines impossible even under normal circumstances. For most of us, the subtle leftward or rightward bias of our sense of direction would only rear its ugly head if we were trying to find our way through a dense forest. Wow. So let me summarize. If we don't have an objective point of reference... In this dense forest of the culture in which we live, we will soon find ourselves walking in ever smaller circles, assuming we are walking still on the straight and narrow path. You need an objective point of reference to walk in a straight line. Now, I talked to you a minute ago about the buildings. If you're next to a building that is itself lined up with the objective reference point, then you can draw strength to walk a straight line by being next to that building. There's a phrase that comes to mind, and that phrase is, do you not know you are the temple of the Lord? When I get near you, another house of the Lord, and you happen to be in right relationship with the Lord, and you're referencing Him, I could actually line up with you, and in my moment of blindness, my moment of the inability to see that reference point, by virtue of seeing you, I will line back up with the straight path. Isn't that amazing? Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Would you say that for me? Walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for, as, I'm sorry, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So he's saying, hey, here's, here's some ideas of what that narrow road looks like. You're going to walk in love as Christ also loved us. You are going to walk as Christ, a sweet-smelling aroma, salt and light. You will not fornicate because you're walking in love. Even though the culture says, hey, you know what? How do you know if you're sexually compatible? Don't get married unless you've had sex first. What if you're not compatible? 
The Word says, hey, if you don't have a covenant, make sure you don't do that. You are way too valuable to be giving your own soul to someone else if they don't even care enough about you to give you a lifelong commitment. I would say these things are at odds with each other. But when you are just in the dense forest of the culture, you go, that's a really good point. I I don't want to be totally miserable and incompatible with my partner for the rest of my life. We don't call them spouses anymore. My part, I'm being cultural. My partner anymore because I, I, oh, that's totally a good point. We should, that's wisdom. Come on, right? And then, you know, this is the one that I hate. Lord, forgive me, help me. Um, (laughs) No coarse jesting, really? What about lightly? What about fine jesting or foolish talking? I'm joking, but this is a hard one for me. I'm constantly apologizing to people. Lord, help me. At any rate, but these things are not fitting for you. Why? Because Shakespeare says in every jest is a little truth. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're not annoying. Walk as children of the light. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Remember last week we talked about how God it said, and you, are, and you together are the temple of God, and God will destroy anyone who destroys that temple. God loves you. He does get mad when people hurt you. Do you want to have a God that doesn't get mad when people hurt you? People get upset about the idea that God could get mad. I get a little freaked out about a God that wouldn't get mad if you were getting hurt. Does that make sense? Anybody getting saved right now? I'm just saying it's okay for him to be like, oh, don't mess with my beloved ones. Now he's going to lead with mercy and see if he can't save that person that's hurting you. And you know what? You'll probably be on the front uh, line of being able to show love and forgiveness But it doesn't mean he's standing idly by going, I knew it would happen. (laughs) Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Now, here we go. This, this, is, this is where it starts getting really good. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. I'm going to take a quick moment to say that means choose your friends wisely. Love everyone. Share love with everyone. Share the gospel with everyone. Serve everyone, but your friends must love the Lord. Do you not know you will become like those who you associate with, right? Bad company corrupts good behavior. If you are fooling yourself into believing that you're actually helping your friends, but you don't consistently serve your friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are influencing you more than you're influencing them at this time. Are you with me? If you've been friends for 10 years and the gospel never comes up anymore, you have come into their kingdom more than they've come into yours. I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm saying remember who you are and what you're about. Serve them with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. If your friend says, I hate it when you talk about Jesus and I don't want you to do it anymore, then it might be a good time to say, I love you 
And the most important thing I can do is talk to you about the Lord. And I'm still going to hook up with you. And I still want to spend time with you. But I'm going to be honest. It's the only thing of value that I have to bring to this relationship. I do love you. But I don't think we can hang out two times a week anymore. Because the truth is my Father in heaven has asked me to extend his kingdom in all spheres of, of, of society. And I welcome you into that. And I'll never give up on you. And I already pray for you all the time. And the reason why I'm annoying you with continually bringing the gospel is because I love you. And if you don't want that, I get that. But we may have to spend less time together. I'm not punishing you. I'm just telling you this is what I'm about. That almost sounds hardcore, doesn't it? I'm concerned for us in this. In our intentionality as saints... Many of us are making friends with other people because we want them to like us, not because we actually love them enough to want to see them in the kingdom. It's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Somebody came to Red one time, and, and uh, they asked him for some advice. Hey, Red, listen, what do you think I need to do about this thing? And so Red does what he always does. You know, he busts out. You guys have seen his brown Bible, right? busts out the brown, but that thing is like 19 different colors in there, you know, pages are falling out of it, and he pulls that thing out, and you know when Red breaks out the big brown Bible that you're probably going to have to make some adjustments and calibrations. So this person met with Red, and then they came, and they, I don't remember, I think they met with me, and then they met with someone else, and they said, and the person said, hey, have you talked to Red? And he goes, oh, I talked to Red, but I, I don't want to talk to Red. All he ever wants to do is tell me what the Bible has to say about it. I think more of us should have that problem. I'm, I'm just saying, you don't have to reject people, but if someone doesn't like Jesus Christ, they really shouldn't like you. I'm just saying, like, if they really love you, but they don't like Jesus, there might be a problem, and I don't think it's with Jesus. Remember? They hate you because they hated me. If you're of the world, they'd love you. What happens if these people are able to keep loving you, but they still don't like Jesus at all? I'll just let that one percolate. Walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means exactly, accurately, and diligently. So he's saying, I want you to walk exactly, accurately, and diligently. Not as fools, but as wise. Now, we just talked a moment ago, and I just love it. I have to bring it up again, about what foolishness looks like. Knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context that are not absolute. So, do whatever you want, and in the end, we'll all end up in the same place. That is as fools. But the word says, walk exactly, accurately, and diligently, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
How do we do that? I'll tell you. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. And you notice the one another piece there. In order to speak to one another, there has to be another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Together. Part of the only way that we will walk down the road which is narrow, the only way is together. This is not an individual sport. Life is not an individual sport. From the very beginning when Adam was in the garden, God said what? It is not good for you to be alone. And it's still not good for us to be alone. We must have one another. Remember we talked last week, we we need each other to stay salty and light. We need each other to be able to walk straight line in this culture. We need to be able to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. We don't have to come in and curse the darkness. We outlive the darkness. I'm not talking about coming in and telling people like, you're bad and what you do is bad and you're bad and you're bad and that thing's bad. No, I'm saying we come in and say, listen, this is what love is. This is what light is. This is how light lives. This is what the Son of God looks like. He looks a lot like this. This is how he serves. This is how he lives. This is how he's called us to live in community. Why do you hang out with people that aren't like you? (laughs) Those people are dorks. I know, they're just like you. And I love you. We actually love one another. You know, here's the wild thing about this. These teachings that Christ brought are utterly ridiculous without the work of the Holy Spirit. Unless we're actually transformed by the renewing of our mind, this stuff, unless we're born again, this stuff, this is a pipe dream. This is not possible. You don't hang out with other people and love them and give your life for them unless you actually have become like the Son of God by being born again. It's not natural to come in and serve other people who you don't necessarily have everything in common with. It's just not. It's not natural to submit to someone else unless you've been born again. Are you guys with me? This is something that is a supernatural work of God. Now, I'm preaching this because it's true, and I'm calling us up to this, but I'm at the same time saying we must be born again. We must be filled with the Spirit of God, and we must go ahead and embrace what Jesus Christ is saying, but it becomes possible because of His Spirit. And so what am I doing right now? For those of us that have lost sight of some of this, the actual the, 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 the straight and narrow, the light and the saltiness of the gospel of Jesus Christ on how we are to live together, I'm coming back and saying, here is an objective reference point. Here is the word of God. And that pa- there's power in this word. As we're hearing this, the Holy Spirit is literally in this written word, which is a mystery to, mystery to me. It's supernatural. It's, a, it's beyond natural. Here's the testimony of Jesus Christ written down by the apostles in written form. And as we're reading it, not only is it coming out like a two-edged sword and cutting into the very motivations of our heart, it's separating the motivations. It's saying, listen, this is what's beautiful. This is what's wicked. This is what's, what's righteous. This is what you're rationalizing right now. It's literally coming in right now. It's piercing into us and saying, this is true and this is a lie. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is in you. And the Holy Spirit is saying, this resonates. I inspired that word and I'm in you. 
I'm in that word and I'm in you. I'm making this possible right now. Will you agree with truth? Will you change the way you're walking, see the reference point, and begin to walk in a straight line with what I have spoken? And if you choose that, I will make it possible that you can actually do it. That's what's happening. That's what's happening right now. Submitting one to another. This picture of together runs absolutely counterculture to where we live. I talked a little bit about our culture last week, about the, the idea that we are essentially all little demigods. We get to choose what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it, who we're going to do it with, what we think is true, what we think isn't true. You know, there's this general thing of, hey, you, you, know, you go your way and I'll go my way. We just agree to disagree, and at the end, we'll probably all end up in the same place anyways. No, no. You will walk in a circle until you die. And the circle looks more like this. But Christ has called us through him onto the path of life. And anyone that will choose it can. We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. I want, will you say that for me? Transformed by the renewing of my mind. Now, this is absolutely necessary for what I'm about to share. I didn't realize, actually, that I had changed the name of this sermon from Never Alone to Together. I did that this morning, so I'd forgotten. It was Never Alone. So this is a prophetic statement. I'm going to read to you about something. While common definitions of loneliness describe it as a state of solitude or being alone, loneliness is actually a state of mind. Loneliness causes people to feel empty, alone, and unwanted. People who are lonely often crave human contact, but their state of mind makes it more difficult to form connections with other people. Did you catch that? There are people who are lonely, not because they don't have friends around them, not because people aren't available to get to know them better, not because they're actually alone, but because their state of mind has put them in a position to where even when they're with others, they, are, they have difficulties connecting because of what? Because of what they believe. Now, we just read a moment ago that when you're in the dense forest and you have no reference point, you will not only walk in circles, but the circles will become ever tighter. How many of us understand that when we get into a mental state of mind, we begin to believe everything that we believe? And then we reinforce it. And since there's no objective reference point, since no one else is allowed to come in and disturb our own mental relativism, we become entrenched in our own way of thinking. And so we stand on the outside, as it were, in our own mind, and we look around and we say, well, here's the problem with all these people. And we stand back as the judge and jury of everybody else's ability to meet my emotional needs. But the truth is, I am actually positioned where I can't feel what's true right now because of what I believe. Are you guys tracking with me? I'm going to read a little bit further. 
Loneliness, according to many experts, is not necessarily about being alone. Instead, it is the perception of being alone and isolated that matters most. For example, a college freshman might feel lonely despite being surrounded by roommates and other peers. A soldier beginning his military career might feel lonely after being deployed to a foreign country despite being constantly surrounded by other soldiers. Some of the physical, verifiable, scientifically shown, observable, repeatable, etc., data that shows from suffering from this belief system and this lifestyle are these. It causes depression and suicide, cardiovascular disease and stroke, increased stress levels, decreased memory and learning, antisocial behavior, poor decision-making, alcoholism and drug abuse, the progression of Alzheimer's, disease, um, altered brain function. It's really amazing to see what happens to human beings who have begun to embrace a lifestyle of alone. You, in, in the Word, what did God say? It is not good for you to be alone. It turns out science, which is wonderful observing the things that God has said, whether or not they do or don't work, verifies that when God said it's not good for us to be alone, it is not. It is not at all. We literally begin to break down. If you are alone, you will die younger than someone who is with others. I love how simple the gospel of Jesus Christ is. I just love it. Research has shown that loneliness can impact stress, heart health, and immunity, but these are not the only areas in which loneliness takes its toll. Lonely adults consume more alcohol and get less exercise than those who are not lonely, explains John, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, John, co-author of the book Loneliness. Human nature and the need for social connection in an interview with U.S. News and World Report. So here's what I want to say. Their diet's higher in fat, their sleep is less efficient, and they report more daytime fatigue. Loneliness also disrupts the regulation of the cellular processes deep within the body, predisposing us to premature aging. Researchers have found that low levels of loneliness are associated with marriage. Go figure. That was kind of a weird way that they wrote that. What they're trying to say is high levels of happiness are associated with marriage. It lowers your loneliness factor if you're with someone else. This is the part where I kind of have to laugh at scientists, but anyway. Turns out, being happy makes you less sad. <laughs> High levels of loneliness are associated with physical health systems, living alone, small social networks, and low-quality social, social relationships. I'm, I've got something I wanted to show here. Okay. Researchers also suggest that loneliness is becoming more common in the United States. I thought this was really interesting. When polled as part of a 1984 questionnaire, respondents most frequently reported having three close confidants. When the question was asked again in 2004, the most common response was zero confidants. What? I'm thinking that's a bad thing. This trend is unfortunate since experts believe that it is not the quantity of social interaction that combats loneliness, but it is the quality. Having just three or four friends is enough to ward off loneliness and reduce the negative health consequences associated with this state of mind. One last thing that I thought was interesting, loneliness can be contagious. 
One study suggests that loneliness may actually be contagious. In a 10-year study, researchers examined how loneliness spreads in social networks. The results indicated that people close to someone experiencing loneliness were 52% more likely to become, more lonely, to become lonely as well. Now, this is, uh, this, to me, I, ha I have some thoughts about that, such as misery loves company and negativity. When I release a word to you, because here are some of the symptoms of people who have, have fallen into this. And again, I'm not judging people that are lonely right here. This is a hopeful message, okay? First of all, did you notice that the Spirit of God let the cat out of the bag before I even got here to talk about it? And during worship, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, had our worship leader of the day speak to you and say, God wants to deal with loneliness today, having no idea that I was going to preach on this. I just want to offer that because hope is in this room right now because Jesus Christ is in this room right now. I want to offer that right now because I'm not judging people or those of us who have begun a habit of living a lonely life because of what we've believed or because some of the habits that we've started or because the choices that we've made. We've followed our feet and our feet have taken us in a circle. Well, here's the great news. Jesus Christ is here. His word is here and his, his body is here. And so today is the day to break out of that cycle. Today is to take a step and to say, there's the reference point. I'll begin to walk towards it. And as you do that, you begin to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and be able to interact with other human beings. So that's the, that's the bottom line. Now I want to talk a moment, though, about some of the things that have happened to us if we have begun to follow our feet in this dense forest of this culture. If we've begun to embrace the social values, which we can see from 1984 until 2004, have caused those in America in their rugged individualism to become lonely, to become alone, lost in the forest of this culture. And the symptoms of that kind of thinking are that I begin to believe in loneliness. I begin to believe my own brand. It's pretty easy to agree with what you believe if no one else is allowed to talk to you then it becomes the only thing that's true. Some of the things, and, and I didn't, I, that as I was studying, there are some very interesting things that happen to us when we travel in this circle. We become the judge and jury of the people around us. We begin to form negative opinions of others. We become cynical. We, we, we doubt other people's motivations. It causes an, an acute amount of stress that happens. There's something that's amazing for those that, that are consistently alone that they've found. It's good, like, if you are alone right now, I don't want to totally bum you out. Uh, you know, get a pet or something, because here's something that's really good. I mean, get some friends. I'm going to go further than this, but this is the point I'm about to make is about sleep. If you're alone, your body actually stays at a higher level of alertness, and you wake up more often in the night. And so you have less REM sleep than everyone else. So that's why I'm saying get a cat or something, because if there's somebody else around, you'll sleep better. This is just true. There's some interesting points about this. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that many of us have formed habits that are keeping us stuck in a worldview that keeps us from going and finding new friends and then forming intimate relationships for two reasons. We no longer believe that we need them. And we also have been a person that's really kind of very hard to be friends with at this point. The 12-step program, the first thing that they say is the first step to freedom is admitting you have a problem. You may not be very friendly. <laughs> Hello, my name is Joshua Rivas. I've been alone for a long time. I have decided in that time that I am right. 
that I am smart and that you are not. Would you like to be my friend? God says you must. If you do not, it will just solidify my belief that you are less spiritual than I. You should repent and then call me. Some of us have formed these kind of belief systems. We have made ourselves the judges of our neighbors of their spirituality because we are unable to connect. But if we will begin to follow and take steps towards this reference point of what Christ is calling us to, by the virtue of His Holy Spirit, He will begin to heal us inside, to transform us by the renewing of our mind, to begin to learn how to trust people. And when, not if, but when they disappoint us or hurt our feelings, then the Word gives us this beautiful Scripture that says, love covers a multitude of sins. It tells you that God can bind up your wounds and your broken heart, that He heals you, His mercies are new every morning, and you can forgive 490 times a day. So that's the beauty of this. You can't fail. How many of you are encouraged? All right, why did I talk about all this? I want to go to this one. We have not come to simply a a belief system. We haven't come to simply a philosophy. We have come to a living God, the Father, and He loves us. And we've come to the Son, Jesus, who gave his life and rose again, and because he rose again, we have risen again with him, and we're a new creation. And he has given us a mandate, and that mandate is to take this good news under the unction and power of the Holy Spirit and extend his family and his kingdom to all that will have it. Now, in order for that to happen, we must stay salty, we must stay light, and we must travel this path, and we must do it together. So here's what we at Christ Center are endeavoring to do as a lifestyle. But in the next three months, what we're going to do is we're going to read through the New Testament. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We're going to calibrate our lives to that objective reference point of the words written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the apostles, written by the prophets, written by the fathers, and, and mothers, and we're going to follow and take Scripture, take the New Testament and say, Father, how must I respond to this? And we're going to do it together. We have about, I think we've got about, what, 12 different groups that are going to be meeting at various different times, the majority of them on Wednesday nights. And we're going to come together and we're going to discuss. Jason and I are going to preach through the, the whole New Testament. We've got a reading schedule that we'll have on the website that we'll also give to you. It will be in the bulletin. And then each week we'll gather together and we'll discuss these things and we'll pray about them and we will calibrate our lives to say, Father, am I indeed helping you? You know, God, God has called us to gather with him. So we're going to do this. As we do this for the next three months, God is going to help us. He's going to empower us. He's going to strengthen us. We're going to fall more in love with him. We're also going to fall more in love with one another. Am I saying to you that if you gather together with one of these groups for the next three months, that you will absolutely have a tight, beautiful connection with these people, and I guarantee intimacy and vulnerability and a perfect atmosphere? No. No, that's, that's 
My goodness. But here's what I can guarantee. You're going to meet with other people who are sons and daughters of God who are on a journey just like you. You're going to meet some new friends, and you're going to get to hear some different perspectives, and you're going to get to hear some encouragements and some testimonies of what Jesus is doing in others' lives. And you're going to get to do some, some, some enjoying and some learning and some being challenged and some growing. And out of that, you will probably find a couple of friends that you will say, man, would you like to get together for dinner and just hang out a little bit? Because I just love being around you. And out of those relationships, most likely you're going to find some intimacy. And we all need intimacy. Does that make sense? And we're going to grow together and we're going to go together. And after three months, then we're going to take a month break. And then for the next three months, we'll have a whole bunch of other options. You'll get to go meet some other friends. But what's my point? Together, we're going to travel this path. We're going to do it in a way that doesn't ruin our lives or become some weird coal or be so heavy and burdensome that no one can do it. We're going to do it in a way so that you can invite others to come along and to encounter Jesus Christ through you and with you and with others. We're going to do it together. Why are we going to do this? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has told us that it's the only way that we can do this. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you. Come travel this path with us. Come and be a part of what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. And together, together, let's extend the kingdom. Amen? Amen. I'd like to ask the servant prayer team to come forward. If there's anyone here today that has not yet received Christ, anyone on the prayer servant team can introduce you to him and you could take that first step to come into this kingdom. If you have sickness in your body and you need healing, I want you to come forward and get prayed for. We have seen incredible healings here. Incredible healings. God heals. Or if you're just needing encouragement or breakthrough for something, prayer for anything at all, please come forward and get prayer. May God bless you. Oh my goodness, I do need to say one more thing. I forgot to tell you some great news. Forgive me for being so ADD. So here's something awesome. How many of you know that we've been putting windows in the church? Yeah, come on. And so many of you have bought a window. Thank you. It makes such a huge difference. So we had someone in the church come and they donated 24 windows. Come on. That's awesome. So I'm super excited about that. So here's, here's what we're going to do. They're a little bit different than the windows that we have. And so we're doing all the outside windows the same style window. We really don't want to have the, you know, the, the house that, uh, that recycling built. What we do want to have is, a, is a, all the outside windows staying, and we're going to keep going on that. But what we are going to do is we're going to do all the inside windows here. You know how this building's shaped like a U. So back here, those will all match. So that way, it's going to look really cool. Uh, here's the bottom line. We actually need to get the materials to install those windows. And we've, what we're going to do is we've got to retrofit just a little bit the opening. So I would like to ask for anyone that would stand with us to help buy the materials to install those. We want to do it this week. My dad's here for the week, so he's going to help install. And, um, and, uh, and uh, so we want to move forward. Scott's going to help, although he's leaving this week, but we'll figure it out. Anyway, here's, here's what we're going to do. We want to do that this week. So can we take an offering? Those of you that, uh, that would feel the desire to jump in here and help with this, I would so appreciate it. And... Um, so let's just do that right now. And here come the ushers with their, uh, with their baskets. And I am so sorry I forgot to do that till just now. It made for an awkward transition.
Was it more awkward when I said it was an awkward transition? Because before it was probably fine, then I said it, now it feels awkward. No, we're okay? See, the music helps. All right. If you need prayer, please come and receive prayer for healing, for encouragement, a prophetic word, or if you want to meet Christ today in a new and deeper way, please come and get prayer. May God bless you guys. Have a great week. I love you.